Left. Right. Hey, what's up, guys? This episode is about house fires, what to do to prevent a house fire, what to do if your house is on fire, and uh, really, most importantly, what to do after a house fire. That was the toughest thing for me. I had a friend whose house recently burnt down, very tragic, very catastrophic, and uh, I went up to help him, but finding information about what to do after the house fire was the toughest part. We get to that part of this episode about 40 minutes in, so you may want to skip ahead if that's what you're interested in. Um, Otherwise, uh, listen on, watch on, learn all about house fires. Don't forget to interact with this podcast in any way. We appreciate that. Liking, commenting, sharing, subscribing. It all helps the metrics of the podcast. So uh, you'll see more of us that way. If you don't want to see more of us, well, don't do anything. We don't want to see more of you either. Uh, Either way, see you guys on the flip side, and thanks for coming. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. 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 Let the music ring us in. What's going on, James? Welcome, everyone, to Sip Talk, episode 172. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. James is a philosopher, a professional bartender, a professional referee, and most exciting of all, an accountant. James, happy to have you with us. Yeah, good I, to be here as always. Heard you crack open a beer. I'm guessing that's the uh, Bush Ice. It is. We're back on the Bush Ice train. Wonderful. I have a little bottle of wine I might have delved into already. I don't know. It is the most exquisite of bottles, but it's a rosé, and I think it's actually uh, I think it's actually a sparkling rosé, and this is a gift from a mutual friend of ours, George Hash Nasser. Uh, anybody else who'd like to send a send a bottle our way, send it to my office, and we will personally think on air. So thank you, George, for sending the bottle this way. Today, we're talking about house fires. It's an important topic. Uh, we're going to try to get as in-depth as possible uh, to house fire, house, fire, house fire prevention. So how to avoid a house fire. What to do... Got a squeaky seat there, James. Yep. What to do during a house fire, so in the unfortunate event that your house is on fire, what the hell are you going to do? And uh, and the reason we're doing this podcast is I was doing some research as to what to do after a house fire. What do you do once your house catches on fire and they put it out? What are your next steps? Uh, and I couldn't find much good in terms of direction. So this uh, this episode, really, I want to focus on the, the third part is what to do, what to do after a house fire but we're going to shoot the shit for a minute and then uh we're going to start with house fire prevention and then get into what the hell do you do if your house is on fire so if that's what you're looking for what to do after the fire go ahead and skip ahead unless you're watching this live so james you want to talk about gas prices that's current event i want to wish everybody a happy international women's day because we happen to be recording on international women's day but gas prices are especially high today so, James, tell me what's up. What's happening with gas prices? What's your local gas price right now? Um, 
high threes. High three, high, high threes. That's it. Yeah, yeah. South Carolina has pretty cheap gas. Um, low state taxes, and we have ports. Really, like, well, Charleston's a pretty big port for for the state, so gas gas is not too expensive here. Um, but the gas prices are definitely going to continue to go up because the Biden administration decided to ban all Russian imports of oil and gas. Which I they did that yet? I thought that was a, a today or tomorrow thing. Uh, he announced it today. Oh, all right. And that's one where what what I'm waiting for is so the Republicans encouraged him to do so, rightly so, um, I might add, and he did it. But I can guarantee you that. Republicans are going to blame Biden for gas prices going up when he did what they encouraged him to do. Well, that's that's a nice thing where you tell somebody else to make the decision, and then when people give you pushback for that decision, you blame the other person for making the decision. Yeah, that's what's that's true leadership right there, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think a true leadership is like when shit goes well, uh, you, it's it's the result of other people's efforts, and when shit goes poorly. You know, you take the blame for it. I think right. So Republicans are kind of picking the opposite approach there. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, Republicans but, want to take want to uh, get the credit for. So I can guarantee you're going to see more and more people complaining about the price of gas. And for the most part, I have very little sympathy. Um, the reason is I think that gas prices need to be higher. We need to encourage people to drive less. We need to encourage people to stop driving tank suvs that get 17 miles to the gallon or worse like buy a smaller car well, buy the, something I, that's more efficient i will agree and I'll, I'll agree with you on that note that car sizes now that i'm driving a sedan again and i got it when i had had a sports car that everybody's car was bigger than me but now that i'm driving a re- relatively large sedan uh i'm surprised how small i am on the road again and every suv these freaking huge pickup trucks look like tanks and they don't get much better gas mileage than the cars did in the 60s and 70s no in some cases worse <laughs> yeah in some cases worse so i so i get where you're going with that i do feel bad for people that that i feel bad for the really poor people that this is actually going to make a difference for in their budgeting That's but the people i'm talking but about but the people that are driving big suvs that like could have chosen a different car and didn't that complain about it i have no sympathy for them in fact well, i'm happy that the gas prices are higher because like well it doesn't pay the price your, for your irresponsible decisions doesn't affect your bottom line so you're just kind of sticking it to everybody well else. you know what actually 12 years ago 14 years ago in 2008 when gas prices were super high um like i remember paying almost 450 a gallon in 2008 um when i was moving down here actually and um at the time i had very little money and (laughs) yeah i did and even then high gas prices weren't a problem for me because i knew that like it was going to be encouraging people to get out of these giant freaking suvs hey if you guys are watching live on instagram or tiktok or facebook wherever else let us know what your current gas prices are mine in new jersey i just checked tonight is 444 for regular james what's uh what did you say yours was i don't know um let me check gasbuddy.com since i don't leave the house well look i know that i was having a conversation with somebody yesterday and he said hey what's the gas price near you and i said honestly i don't even look 
I just pull up. I don't even have to pump the gas in New Jersey because they pump it for you. And I just tell them to fill it up because honestly, it's out of my control and it's an expense that I have to pay for. So if I save three cents or eight cents or 12 cents station to station, it's not, you know, it's going to be a dollar or two dollars tops that I'm saving. There's not much I can do about it. What, so what Charleston's looking like on aggregate, we're right around four. I'm seeing between 390 and four. Sunny Noel in Texas says 389. So okay. Texas, Texas and uh, South Carolina are, are pretty similar. Yeah, there's been, like, it's usually like someplace in Texas, someplace in the Midwest, or actually South Carolina. I remember a while back, South Carolina had the lowest gas prices in the country. Well, um, since then, we've raised our gas taxes, but like South Carolina still tends to be one of the least expensive states to fuel up. New Jersey under Chris Christie was, was pretty low. Um, but uh, over the last decade or so, the gas station near my apartment in Manhattan uh, has been four ninety nine. <laughs> they're they're near the Lincoln Tunnel. They realize that people are stopping there only because they need to. And so, what are they now? Like seven ninety nine? Uh, I don't know. I checked Google Maps, and they were four ninety seven last summer for the regular. So, but they they're roughly at four ninety nine. They probably play with a penny one way or the other way. So look. Can we get into this fire stuff? You got more on, on gas prices. Cause... No, I, I just want to know what other people have to think about this because for me, I, I see higher gas prices as us getting in line with most other first world countries. That, like, right now, if you want to fuel up in like England, it's probably like 11 or 12 bucks a gallon. Well, yeah, gas is a weird uh, index because it doesn't quite follow inflation. Like, it really hasn't. We're getting to the prices where we were uh, 14 years ago. So, right, but when you back off inflation, we're still cheaper than we were in two thousand eight. Yeah, it's a, it's a really it's it's a really weird uh, index. So look, so let's 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 talk about what to do if you have a house fire. First, I want to talk about house fire prevention. So I mentioned it briefly last week that a friend of mine had a house fire, and it was it was really really truly devastating. And uh, I think a lot of people don't think about the impact of a house fire. I know I didn't. I've made jokes on this podcast before about how I was cooking or doing something in the garage and some smoke detectors went off. So I just beat the shit out of them. And and that was funny at the time. But going through this, I got to witness firsthand what a house fire is like. And James and anybody listening, I want you to pause and think of your things. All right. I see you. You got your bedroom in the background. Think of your things. You got your TV you get your favorite pair of shoes, everything you have. You get books, socks, uh, any records that you have of anything, anything you've written, ever written down that's on paper that's not stored somewhere in the cloud, anything that's physically stored on a hard drive that's not stored in the cloud. You have a house fire. That's all going up. Your underwear? Uh, don't care about my underwear. I, okay. I, I could set my fire on underwear tomorrow and I wouldn't lose any sleep over it. But but literally you have you have no clothes left, all right? If you don't manage to, like, I sleep in a different room than my cell phone because my phone goes off nonstop all the time. I put it in a different room. Your cell phone, and for those people who manage to get their cell phone out, your charger, right? If you, you get the wherewithal to grab your cell phone on the way out the window, you forget your charger. Um, but, but literally what happens is when, you, when your house is on fire and in the immediate aftermath, life comes to a halt, okay? Time stands still because... Without things, you, 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 
there's a lot less on your mind. So, there, you know, there is a benefit of, of everything going up to flames as you kind of hit this reset button. But it's also a master reset in many ways. So it's a, it's a huge setback on your life. And, uh, you know, you're lucky if you get out with pants in a lot of cases. So imagine... Well, I think it really depends on the setting. Because, well, like, your friend lived on the third floor of, of a building, and that's where he was sleeping when the fire went. So it was a lot harder for him to get out because in order for him to leave through the front door, he would have had to go through a floor or two of flames. Whereas for comparison, if you see this window right here, I can just flip this lock and I can step outside and I'm outside in probably under 15 seconds. Sure, and but, he, so, but also bear in mind his house was fully demolished and the fire department is actually less than 100 yards from his house. So... If your house was to go, catch on fire, you might escape. But I'm talking about your belongings. So this is in the event, obviously, you survive. So uh, pretty much all the stuff, like, I've, I've had this thought a number of times over the years in terms of, like, if there was a fire, what would I try and save? And unless the fire is in my bedroom itself, then I would have enough time to, like, if I had five minutes or something, I could grab everything and throw it out the window. And I've thought about, like, what would I prioritize? I, so, I, like, but, like, I'm lucky in that case because, like, it's super easy for me to escape. And, and you're on the first floor, yeah. Not, there, not There's only one floor. Yeah, not, not everybody is. And, yeah, if the fire takes place outside of your room and the door is closed, you have a better shot to collect some of your immediate belongings. So, look, let's, let's talk about house fire prevention. So, first off, smoke detectors. That's fire, fire alarms. That's something that I went crazy and I bought one for every bedroom every main area in the house and it's I, I think by code in a new house you have to have a smoke detector in every room of the house and that includes bedrooms living rooms kitchen uh and smoke detectors now are made to last 10 years from the manufacture date so you have to replace smoke detectors every 10 years the ones that i have have a built-in battery that you cannot remove and you're also supposed to check them monthly, which I think is a, a bit much. But if it's part of your regular routine and you just tap them, not a bad idea. Um, and also carbon monoxide detectors. So a couple of the bedrooms in my house are located over the garage. Now, it's unlikely there's going to be a car running in the garage, but you never know. And maybe I'm working on a car in the garage and I'm leaving it running and I get distracted and somebody's taking a nap in a bedroom. You want that carbon monoxide detector to go off because um, you, you never know. So obviously, the, these detectors aren't for the obvious fires that are easy to put out. These are for the ones that are catching you off guard that are happening three or four rooms away while you're distracted. Um, so and also in terms of so I haven't I've, I've got a bunch of smoke detectors and I put them up pretty high because smoke rises, but I haven't mounted them. So most of the rooms, I'm trying to figure out where would be the most strategic place to mount them. And this weekend is the first weekend I'll be home and have some time to actually mount them. But you want to think about how airflow works through your house and where smoke is going to go. So, for example, I have a couple of rooms that are divided by a doorway, like a 48-inch doorway, pretty wide doorway. But the uh, there's like a sill over the doorway that comes down like 12 inches. You would want to have a separate detector in both rooms because the smoke is going to collect in the ceiling of one room before it escapes into the next room. You follow me there? Yep. 
Okay, cool. Um, and then also, you have fire extinguishers at your house? We have one. You have one. Where is it? Garage. Ooh. So if you have a kitchen fire, you've got to run out to the garage, grab this. The garage is right next to the kitchen. The You're kitchen, right. like the the garage, the do the door to get to the garage is in the kitchen. Okay, that's good. So, that's good. Yeah. Um, so and, and kitchen's the most likely place for a fire to occur. Kitchen is one of the most likely places for a fire to occur. I have a whole list of places that you really want to protect, um, but there's also different um, types of fire extinguishers. So there's ones that are specific for the kitchen because kitchen is more likely going to be a grease fire. Um, and then also electric fire uh, and things like that. So, you know, a fire that you might have in a bedroom is going to be a lot different than a fire that you might have in a garage or a kitchen. So it's important to get different uh, fire extinguishers. Also, um, you want to keep them in accessible areas. So I'm going to put one in every bedroom closet, one in the kitchen, one in the garage. Uh, and I got a couple other places. I'm going to keep some small ones just in case. But if you wake up in the middle of the night and there's a, an electrical fire or something like that, and it's not too bad yet because you've got smoke alarms everywhere, you might be able to grab that one in the bedroom closet, run out, and snuff it out. And then also, if you do snuff a fire out, you still want to call 911 because a lot of times, and this is what they think happened with my friend's house, is the fire actually got put out and, got in, and, and traveled into the wall because the, the interior of the walls are made out of wood. I don't want to get too, too much into his situation, but it, you know, it, uh, it ended up starting from within the walls and then traveled over the course of 24 hours and smoldered and, uh, and ultimately created a, a much larger fire. So fire extinguishers are big. Uh, they're super cheap. Uh, I think I got a couple of small, uh, fire extinguishers for 19 bucks so for 20 bucks you could get two of them now they were you know, uh, but you know fire extinguishers are actually a pretty good way to ward off an attack as well oh spraying it at someone yeah if you spray so if you blast somebody in the face with the fire extinguisher like i've seen videos of it there, yeah. there, there's a great one of like at a gas station like a road rage incident i think it was in russia and like some guys the guy has a fire extinguisher and the other guy comes at him and he just like blasts him in the face and he kind of stumbles back. He gathers himself again and he tries to go and like every single time he just gets blasted in the face with the fire extinguisher and eventually he just like, uh, he, he, he taps out. Well, I mean, they, they, uh, it's compressed either water or spray foam. Uh, and there's like a powder. It's called ABC. Yeah, the, the the one that I saw was a powder. So you're just bl blasting somebody in the face with powder that they do not want to breathe in. And it, it's pressurized. They also make them with carbon dioxide, um, and then there's like some type of wet chemical that that can be in there as well. Um, and and they're all rated for different things. So like, you would want a powder for an electrical fire or a grease fire. You wouldn't want a you wouldn't want water for a grease fire. No, water on a grease... Have you, have you seen some of the videos of, like, fire departments demonstrating what happens when you toss water on a grease fire? Uh, yeah, I've seen a few. I, I watched a whole bunch of videos uh, about all different types of house fires. Yeah, like, well, if you throw water on a grease fire, it, it's like just throwing a small grenade. So, but that's what a lot of people do when their stove catches on fire, is they dump water on it. And then what happens is the actual oil is what's on fire... And the water displaces the oil, 
and then the oil goes to other places and catches those things on fire. Yeah, you just you you take a pool of oil and turn it into a mist of flaming droplets that go yeah, everywhere. It's like oil on water. Like if you've ever seen like freaking Pirates of the Caribbean or something where the water's on fire, that's because there's oil on the water. That's yeah, that's and like fire. if you don't have um if you don't have something like a fire extinguisher for it, then like put a wet towel over it, put like a, like put um, another pan on top of it, or I think baking soda. You can pour baking soda on it. Yeah, baking soda is a good one too. Um, and then also, if the fire is not crazy and you have a, you have a decent sized blanket or uh, towel, throwing that on top of it will smother it out and and basically prevent it from getting oxygen yeah uh, and a wet towel obviously be better. yeah wet towel helps yeah but even just a towel is better than water especially if it's a grease fire um i got a note here on tiktok that gas is 420 in georgia i don't know what city in georgia yeah georgia's a little more expensive than south carolina and i think atlanta is more expensive than anywhere else in georgia so so last thing on fire extinguishers though is i also found some really stylish options so you can get like very sleek looking stylish fire extinguishers, which I almost Why? want because some people don't want a goofy bright people who care about style and about the decor and design of their rooms may not want to have a big red canister on the floor or on the wall. So you can get ones that match your decor. And uh, it's yeah, if you if you got the disposable income to drop hundred and fifty or two hundred bucks on a fire extinguisher. Fucking go for it, man. Uh, there's one that I saw that was like a uh, a brass looking color, and uh, I'm not spending 200 bucks on a fire extinguisher, but uh, um, but it looked cool. So for the right person and the person that's worried about having an ugly looking fire extinguisher, go for it. I actually like uh, the idea of having the fire extinguisher. I was just talking to somebody I work with this afternoon. When you buy certain sports cars. They come with fire extinguishers, like, strapped to the roll cage and stuff. So it's kind of a sporty option. <laughs> if you want that in your kitchen, <laughs> go for it. Um, all right. So the other thing is fire extinguishers, are, and I mentioned this, after you snuff it out with the fire extinguisher, it's still a good idea to call 911 because once a fire starts, uh, that heat can build up and it can build up behind the walls if you have wood frame walls which pretty much every house does even apartments in brick buildings oftentimes have uh wooden frame walls as dividers for the rooms especially with wooden lath like my friend's house the wooden lath is really how the fire spread in between the walls and uh, no, it's it, like the perfect size for kindling really yeah, and because it, it spread very slowly because there's not a lot of airflow in the floors and the walls. So it spread slowly and it smoldered and smoldered. And then roughly 36 hours after what he thought was the initial cause, that's when the fire finally broke through, started getting more and more oxygen, and then spread at a much more rapid rate. So, um, you, you know, calling 911 is, uh, is a good idea. Ultimately, what happened was the fire had spread so much through his walls, the fire department had to come in and break out all of the plaster and uh, the drywall and break in between almost all the walls through the first, second, and third floor 
uh, to make sure that, and not all the walls, but the majority of them, to make sure the fire hadn't spread there. So, and they needed to do that before they could deem the building as safe. Um, yeah, because they don't want to have to come back in six hours because something caught fire again. You remember I had a Christmas party one year. Uh, this was maybe a year or two before we both moved to South Carolina. And uh, I know we have some pictures of this. I think it's actually my photo of you for your caller ID. You were dating somebody at the time, and you guys came over for Christmas. Do you remember this at all? Remember that Vaguely. Well, so we threw, we ran out of firewood, and we threw a giant log that was probably like four and a half feet long into the fireplace, left some of it hanging out of the fireplace. Now, that log caught on fire, and it started to burn outside of the fireplace. So what I did was, I said, well, this is obviously a fire hazard. Can't have, you know, sticking out of the fireplace, can't have that. So I took the log, and we had just had some snowfall, and on our front wood deck, there was like a four-foot-high snowbank. So I threw this log onto the snowbank, thinking, that'll take care of that. It'll, it'll burn out eventually, and, uh, and the, the snow will put the log out. Well, the day after that, that party, no issues. The day after that, this log smoldered for almost two days, sunk into the, into the snow, and actually set the deck, the wooden deck, on fire. And the smoke traveled through the deck into the house. My sister woke up that afternoon from a nap and uh, called me freaking the hell out, thinking the house is on fire. I said, hey, I'm in my bedroom. It's full of smoke. What do I do? And I said, call 911. 911 came, and all of the fire came. They had to cut out the... Uh, the deck and all the fire came from this log sinking into the snow over the course of two days still being on fire so so that's that's why i'm saying if you manage to snuff out a fire with a fire extinguisher you still ought to call 911 to get the fire department there to, to check out the scene um so one of the uh leading sources of home fires is your home fire place do you have a fireplace in your house? Yes. Wood burning? Yes. Hmm. Have you used it? No. Okay. The uh, reason being is because um, it, it needs to be fixed before it's safe. Like, on the home inspection, that was one of the things they pointed out was like, hey, you might want to check the masonry. You might want to check some things with this fireplace before you use it. So I haven't used it out of caution. Yeah. So first off, any fireplace, you have to have a fireplace screen. So if something pops yeah, out, you don't want sparks screen, coming out. Maybe somebody put some dynamite in a log and sticks it in the fire. <laughs> I don't know who would do that, though. <laughs> um, so, uh, but what happens is your wood, if it has some moisture, has some air pockets in the wood, that can pop and it can actually shoot things out of the fireplace. So you need to have a fireplace screen. Uh, and then also you want to have the fireplace inspected annually. And it's a really good idea to hire a chimney sweep to make sure that it's not clogged and you'd be surprised you think your fireplace is good to go but maybe some animal has built a nest inside of it which blocks the smoke um, or some animal has burrowed through the bricks and you know the bricks in the fireplace typically are right up against the side of your house which if your house is built out of wood or your walls have wooden lath in them uh, that can catch on fire so you want to have your fireplace inspected uh, cleaned Got to look for cracks. 
we talked about kitchen fires and grease fires. Um, that's probably number two. And then number three, and this is a, a big, uh, any guess what number, number three is? Smoking. Uh, no, that's actually not on my list. Nobody, not, not as many people are smoking these days. And new cigarettes go out if you haven't been puffing on them. True, but I would have put that at the, somewhere on the list. All right, number three, um, I don't know, probably like an electrical short of some sort. Yeah, electrical overload. Uh, but also, if you have an older house, frayed wires. Older houses have uh, poor quality electrical wiring within the walls. So my house was built in the 50s, and there's actually wire that I found that has horsehair wrapping around them. Like our doorbell wire, I know for certain, has horsehair wrapping around it. But that's also more common in like the early 1900s and 1800s. Uh, but also, the older your house, even if it has plastic-coated wires, if you have mice or something like that, or even squirrels that get into your attic or through the walls, they'll gnaw apart that uh, the plastic coating on your wires. An exposed wire against a piece of wood can cause that piece of wood to catch on fire. Um, ungrounded outlets. Uh, space heaters can draw a lot of heat. Also, if you have just a, uh, a lot of power strips with a lot of things plugged into it, power strips are safer than just overloading an outlet because a power strip will pop. But depending on your wiring, uh, if you overload an outlet, the more electricity the outlet draws, the higher the temperature of the actual wiring that it can get. Yeah, and a good way to test whether or not your outlet is grounded is with just a basic metal fork. <laughs> James being sarcastic, and you will get electrocuted. <laughs> That's the problem with this podcast. Um, I'm trying to be serious. Uh, yeah, so don't stick anything unless they actually make um, they make outlet testers that you can buy at Home Depot or Lowe's or something that you can actually test your outlets. Make sure they're grounded. Yeah, they're a little more reliable than the fork method. Well, actually, no, you'll get the same result. Yeah, not happening. Don't stick a fork or anything into your outlet that's not designed for an outlet. Um, let's see. Lights, actual incandescent light bulbs can generate a lot of heat. And say you have a, uh, a lampshade that's leaning against the bulb. I've actually oh, I've seen, seen like melted lampshades. Yeah, so they can actually catch on fire. Most of them, especially the newer ones, are uh, flame retardant or, you know, basically aren't supposed to catch on fire. But the older ones certainly can. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, but, candles? Yeah. So I, Okay, so that's the last one I have on the list because it's almost the most obvious, but it's also not. I actually lit a candle behind me. Uh, a few weeks ago when we did the podcast and I blew it out after the podcast. I always make sure I blow it up. I came down the next morning to work out in the basement here and the candle had relit itself. So I did, I guess I didn't blow it out hard enough or something and, uh, and it relit itself. So candles can be a major source of fire. We had another house fire scare as, as when I was a kid, uh, a candle placed up against um, the window and the wood on the window frame started to catch on fire. Well, it's because you forgot about the candle and it burned all the way down. Well, that would have been if this one, the, the one I'm talking about, 
the heat from the candle rises and whatever was above that candle, it was placed against the window frame, but the, the frame of the window, so it was placed against the glass, but the frame of the window over, had a little overhang and the heat actually ran up and hit the wood on the window. Oh, um, yeah, for like candles, if you blow one out or whatever, like it's a good idea if you've got the lid to just put the lid on top of it. So that way, even if it's still hot, no air can get in. So we got a comment here uh, from Macaroon Granola. If you have a kitchen fire and you don't have a small kitchen fire extinguisher and you only have usually what's available in the kitchen, uh, is it ever a good idea to throw vinegar on a fire to try to put it out? No. Vinegar is a bad idea. Now, vinegar and baking soda tend to go together because they kind of foam up and do whatever. But no. Uh, Vin any liquid on a grease fire is going to be a problem because you're just displacing the flaming oil. Yeah, vinegar would be a, a very poor idea. Baking soda alone might be an okay idea, but you'd have to have a lot of baking soda in its in its decent sized fire. If that if you if the only thing well, you have in hand is baking soda, throw it at you know. Yeah, yeah. Like take all the baking soda you have and dump it into the pan and use that to buy yourself some time to find yourself a towel or a dish rag <laughs> or something. Like like take the dish rag, run over the sink, dunk it in water, and then throw that on there too. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, candles. I mean, just candles are fucking dangerous. So if you're lighting a candle, candle, you really got to be vigilant with paying attention to it. Uh, things that are around. I have candles all over the place, but I don't light them unless they are not surrounded by anything. And uh, and I make sure. Uh, so I've even set timers to remind myself to turn candles off. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm not a fan of candles. Like, I, I think that they're way too risky for what they give. Well, you know me. Like, I drink a lot. So if I like light a candle, so it's, you know, you have a nice smell. And, well, I know you don't like candles because uh, you didn't even want to light one to have a date over when we were doing the first date episode. Uh, but I like, yeah. the, I like to have the candle smell. Well, my reason for not lighting a candle on a first day is I think it's just a little presumptuous. Like, there's nothing to do with sex. It just has to do with setting a nice smelling place i want my place to smell nice when we have guests over i light a candle in the bathroom and just let it burn all night because i you know somebody's got to take a crap uh i don't you know it seems like a, a <laughs> it seems like a nice thing they won't have to light a candle it's just in there uh, but what i was saying is I, I drink a lot and especially if i got a candle lit i'll always set an alarm for myself to blow the candle out um all right so we talked about kitchen fire we talked about electrical overload and then the last thing that was uh, – I got, actually, I got two more things. Uh, second to last is your dryer. You've got to clean the, uh, uh, the lint trap, but also it's, it's, you know, once a year or so, the outlet for the dryer, that can get clogged with lint. And what happens is your dryer gets really, really hot, and it puts out really, really hot air. Now, especially if there's any issues like a belt goes or a seal goes in your dryer – and it creates some source of friction. All of that built-up lint is like super kindling, and it can catch on fire super easy. So, uh, keeping your dryer clean, the lint trap, and the vent that goes out of your dryer, you want to make sure that's that's clear. I actually recently replaced mine, and given I've only lived here for about a year, uh, whoever lived here before that outgoing vent was a fucking mess. I was so surprised. It looked pretty clear from one end and on the other end, but as I carried it out of the house, 
all of the shit started falling out of it. So there's just a ton of stuff in, in that vent. So you want to clean your dryer vent. And then, uh, then lastly, flammable products. So I, uh, I recently uh, put some shelves up behind me and I stained them. You want to take any rags that you use for stain and, uh, and put them in a bucket with water and then bring them to your recycling center, your town dump, and dispose of them correctly. Uh, there's a lot of household products that are super flammable, paint varnishes, uh, things like that. And you want to make sure you're following the instruction on those labels. Uh, is it, so we got a couple of comments. Someone, uh, Kazi said, call 911. Uh, also, he said, remember to drink water daily, everyone. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so you don't catch on fire. Well, then, also, it makes it easier to pee on the fire. You can always pee on the fire. Uh, what is advice for candles in jack-o'-lanterns? Should you wrap the lid of a pumpkin with tin foil? I don't think that would be helpful uh, when it comes to fire prevention. No, I, I, I don't think... I don't think, you like tin foil is going to save anything there no, um, but you, you probably don't want to put it right up against a wall if it's on your front steps that's probably okay but you also don't want to be you know it's, it's covered so you don't want to be burning it in the house and then another question from rosh about uh bathroom products so hair gel probably not that flammable unless it's in your hair but uh canned products you don't yeah, want hairspray be, you don't want to be lighting a candle next to your your canned or aerosol products because those are under pressure and the heat could uh well it's also like dude like hairspray is just flammable by itself like yeah you, hair, ever, yeah. you ever seen someone take a lighter to hairspray exactly uh so look part two i want to talk about what to do during a fire and then we'll we'll get uh to what to do after a fire probably got to race through part two pretty quick yeah we're gonna we're gonna have to move pretty quick so look and this this one's pretty simple because it's going to happen quick. Your house on fire, what the hell do you do? First of all, your adrenaline's going to be racing. So you have to be aware. You, you want to hear my voice in your head. Your fire alarms are going off. Your adrenaline spikes. You, gotta, you don't necessarily need to pause, but you've got to be aware that your adrenaline is spiking, and you need to think critically. you got to say, Justin said, my adrenaline's going to spike. i got to be aware of that. I need to counteract that by being present in my mind and thinking critically. So having an escape plan that you've predetermined, especially if you have a family, is going to put your mind at ease a little bit. So you want to have a developed escape plan and a meetup location if you have a family. Okay. Um, let's see. During the fire, you want to exit first thing. You want to call 911 as soon as you've gotten out of the house if there's some way you can do it simultaneously and you're able to just gracefully walk out the front door or walk out the window like you have in your bedroom and you got your phone in your hand call 911 at the same time if you're stuck inside you want to call 911 immediately uh, you also want to draw attention to yourself so if you don't have a phone on you shouting fire could help if you're in the house you you want to wake people up yelling fire is a really good idea it's way better than yelling, wake up, wake up, okay? Because if you're asleep and you hear someone yell fire, you're much more likely to pop up out of bed than when you hear someone yell, wake up, wake up, or get up or get out of the house, because then you're going to wonder what's going on. 
and you're gonna you know you're uh, not I would say just like, making as much noise as possible is a, probably a good idea yeah and if you're stuck outside without your phone because you exit the house right away um you want to yell fire get neighbors attention go pound on the door um if your exit route is blocked and there's smoke in the room you want to get down low um you also want to keep the doors and the windows closed so you want to go to your door and feel the door and see if it's hot if it's hot that means there's fire outside of your door if it's not hot you can peek outside uh, but the issue with opening your door is that you can repressurize the rooms well, the or or like if you've got a room that's relatively well sealed there might have been a fire in there and it got all hot but eventually it's going to use up all of its available oxygen. And so if the door is closed, there's very little air that's going to be able to get back in, maybe the crack under the door around the ceiling or maybe through like the HVAC vents. But that's not a lot of like volume that can get transported into that room. But as soon as you open that door, you're just giving it an entire house full of fresh oxygen. Yeah, so that, that happened to my friend actually opened his bedroom door to see what was happening, and the smoke just started going pouring into the room he, he closed it but he had broken that seal and the smoke continued to pour through the room and it got really bad uh, ended up going to the hospital for uh carbon monoxide poisoning and just damage to his lungs and the smoke was really really coming out so the smoke by the way is what kills people most people most die. of the time most people die because of smoke inhalation and not from the actual fire so which is which is really sad but that's they also you know what if i had to choose a manner of death i'd rather die from smoke inhalation than burning to death though clearly uh i i agree with you it sounds less painful but uh but it's almost like drowning except more painful than drowning because you're i'm not saying that either fun i'm saying that if i had to pick between the two so also if you have access to a wet towel or even just a dry towel to cover your mouth and your your nose and any of your other breathing holes you want to do that to uh hey, all those masks that we don't have to use anymore yeah well you probably want something a little thicker than a mask uh let's see uh, you gotta work with what you have though smoke kills uh and again it's gonna be you know it's a scary situation the fire alarm alone which is why i beat the shit out of the ones in my garage with a hammer to, to turn off uh they like really stress you out so you gotta you just gotta be cool and calm in the moment and just make sure you're thinking rationally um and if you manage to get out of the house you don't want to go back in uh the roof can fall on you uh the floors can give out Shit can blow up man if you have something like aerosols uh, or some type of fuel or something in your house something pressurized and that catches on fire and the heat the heat can make it blow up or if so, you have like a natural gas line to your house also yeah if you have gas if you have a gas stove or something like that uh if it heats up and the seal breaks on that you have a fucking flamethrower inside your house all of a sudden that's just spewing gas and fire into the house um let's see uh, yeah rosh says like as you're getting out like stay low because like the smoke rises and the heat rises. So Yeah, so like you'll have an easier time breathing if you keep your head down, which, yeah, that's a good tip. So the issue is I don't know your house. Um, I don't know the layout, the floor plan. I don't know what floor you're on. James, I don't know what floor you're on. But 
Uh, New York City apartments, almost everyone has a fire exit plan, a fire strategy on the front door, on the back of the front door, the interior side of the front door of your apartment. You want to pay attention to that. But, uh, but have a plan. Have some type of set plan. If you have a family, discuss it with your family so you're not freaking out about all of them. And then also from your fire department, you can get those like kid finders that you can stick on windows. That's, that's always good. And when you call 911, you want to be as specific as possible. Hi, I'm on the fourth floor. There's a fire one room away from me. Whatever, whatever. The more specific you are, the more helpful you, you're going to be for them and the more likely chance you have to live. And again, this is this is scary stuff. So here's a, here's where I want to go with this episode. And we're roughly 43, 44 minutes into it. Um, I want to talk about what to do after a fire. So you want to do everything you can to prevent a fire. Smoke detectors, carbon monoxide, not fire related, but a good detector to have exit strategy, knowing what to do when your house is on fire. But what I couldn't find was direction at your house on fire. So let me ask you a question, James. And, and, you know, God forbid, knock on some wood. Your house catches on fire. Everything goes up in flames. You leave the house with a pair of boxer shorts and your phone. All right. What are you going to do? What's your next step day after? Well, I need to find a place to stay. So, yeah, but you don't, maybe you don't have your wallet on you because it was in the back pocket of your pants and they caught on fire. If I've got a cell phone, I'm calling anybody and everybody that I know and saying, hey, my house burned down. Do you have a couch I can sleep on for a night? Yeah, so that's, that's step, you know, step one, obviously, you want to have a safe place to go. Uh, in, in places like New York and New Jersey and Vermont in the wintertime, it gets really cold. So there's a good chance, you know, you, you're going to need a place to stay that night or, or that day. So reach out to the people around you you want to have a relaxed place to figure out your next steps and uh you know doing that from a hospital room or an ambulance or something is is not great especially when you're like well chances are if you're in a hospital room or an ambulance it's because you need to be well a lot of times they just stick you in the back of an ambulance or you know smoke inhalation whatever but you want to be in a comfortable place where you can you can pause and try to take some notes and and reach out to the people that that you know and, and care about you and try to find some basic stability because the thing about a fire is again you may not have a cell phone you may not have socks you may not even have shoes or a shirt right if you sleep in the nude uh and you got to get out man you're just cupping your balls and uh and getting out that window so it's uh it can it can be a, a crazy place hopefully a neighbor will give you a pair of shorts or something um you know, and that's that's why I ran up to, to help out my friend because you know it hit me that I was like, damn, like you you got nothing, like you really need as as, as much help as possible, and uh, you know for a close friend you're gonna want to be there. So hopefully you got some close friends you can reach out to. But finding a place where you can go and you can you can figure out your next steps is crucial. All right, um, let's see. So you want to contact the fire department first. Find out, you know, if it's safe to go back in. Uh, you may not. You might be able to get in with the help of the fire department to find your keys for your car, right? Because maybe the car survived because you don't park in the garage or something. Um, but the keys are inside the house, uh, and then also your wallet. Wallet and keys are are like 
some of the big things that you probably want to get access to right off the bat. So you want to contact the fire department, ask if it's safe to access. You want to contact the utility company, make sure they've cut off the gas, make sure they've cut off the electricity because you don't want, you'd be surprised what happens to wires in a fire. They run within the walls, but uh, as the walls fall, as the ceilings fall, wires can be everywhere. And if they're still electrified, uh, you have one, the risk of continued fire, but also the risk of electrocution. Um, here's one thing we're getting, a, I'm getting a little ahead of you here, yeah. but if you own a house, then you're going to most likely have property insurance. And if you rent and you have renter's insurance, which you should probably have because it's relatively cheap. Um, one thing that you should do is just go through your house with your cell phone and, and videotape all of your belongings just do a quick walkthrough and just be like here's my closet here's my clothes here's my computer here's my tv here's my collectibles collection whatever and just have a record of it so that way when it comes time to dealing with the insurance company you've got something to show them yeah so doing that on a regular basis an annual basis not a bad idea um it'll take you 10 or 15 minutes yeah doing it on a regular basis i actually wanted to do some matterport which is like a 3d video tour for some of my friends, and it actually creates a 3D replica of your house. Uh, I wanted to do that for some of my friends now that I got this Matterport camera. Um, and that would have been helpful for my friend in this case. He would have been able to show a lot of the stuff that he had in the house that has now basically been eviscerated and just like no longer even exists. Um, but uh, let's go back to insurance. So. First off, before making any claims or anything like that, you want to make sure you're up to date. Your policy is paid in full because you don't want to call the, the insurance company and then say, oh, actually, your credit card didn't go through, so you weren't insured. You want to call the insurance company and make sure that your payments are up to date and that you're currently covered. Otherwise, you're going to want to say, let me make a payment, right? And then, and then you pay them, make sure you're covered for that period, and you call them back later and make the claim. And this is real stuff because the insurance company is looking at either saying, fuck off, your policy wasn't valid and saving themselves $900,000, right? Or, uh, or you being covered and them saying, oh, actually, you, you, know, you, you paid us retroactively, so you were covered, which is why you're paying retroactively. Um, and then they have to cover you. So make sure your insurance is valid. And then, yeah, because the insurance company is not your friend. They're in the business of paying the least amount on a claim or not paying a claim at all. So here's some knowledge on that exactly. The insurance company is actually against you. They don't want to pay the full value, right? So here's what I learned, and, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode is that you want to find an independent insurance adjuster. So your insurance company is going to, going to assign their own adjuster who's going to walk through and give you the minimum, the minimal values of everything that you own. And they're hired and paid probably pretty well by your insurance company because they serve that, they save that insurance company money. That's how they serve the insurance company. But if you go with an independent adjuster, now you're going to have to pay that person, but they're going to come in and fight for you. And why are they fighting for you? Because they're going to take a percentage of the total payout from the insurance company. So if it's 10% or 5%, they're still very likely going to get you a greater amount than your insurance company was going to. And on average, it's roughly double. So, so you really want this third-party adjuster 
on your side. And a lot of times uh, this person will help give you direction with your claim and what you should be doing. Yeah, uh, unless the insurance company just straight up says we're going to pay you whatever the max of your policy is. Well, that's very unlikely. It could um, happen. It could happen, but they're only going to do that after they send their own adjusters out there to determine the extent of the damage. Right, but you can always hire an independent adjuster after the insurance company sends theirs. It's My, not like you have to pick one or the other. I have learned some of the intricacies of how the insurance companies work and and who they choose to send out and they have basically they have different adjusters that go out so they'll send a primary adjuster to determine is you know is the fire damage over 50,000 or something like that then they bump it up to the next person and bump it up to the next person uh having working with a really skilled adjuster uh the adjuster that I was speaking with last week was getting people on the phone from the insurance company saying hey you don't need to send this person hey let me talk to this person directly. I want to explain to them this. And having them on your side, on the inside, was way better than, than going directly through the insurance company. Was that, was that the insurance company's adjuster that was giving you the ins, or is that the independent? No, it was the independent who was calling the insurance company's adjusters because they work with that, those adjusters on a pretty regular basis. Which is why be a pretty small world. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's 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 smaller than car insurance claims, right? Because oh, it has to be. There are a lot more car insurance claims than there are home insurance claims. So a lot a lot of these adjusters, especially on the big level, know the players that work for the insurance companies. Well, and chances are, an independent adjuster is someone who worked for an insurance company at one point and then went private. Yeah, but that's that's really my. But can you confirm for me that, like, if the insurance company sends out an adjuster and they say two hundred thousand, you can still get your own independent adjuster and see what they have to say? Yeah, you're, legally, you're you're you have the right to bring your own adjuster on board, and it is almost always worth it. Once I once I found out that that was even an option, all of the research I did said go with the in, uh, independent adjuster every time, uh, and the adjuster that we worked with basically took us under the wing, got uh, an immediate uh, upfront bonus, basically to cover a new pair of shoes, right? Like my friend didn't have any shoes uh, to cover a hotel stay, cover things like that, just right off the bat. And, uh, and just basically showed us the ins and the outs, the sides that the insurance company don't really want you to see because the insurance company is out to protect their own interest. The adjuster is out to get you the maximum value because that's how they make their money. Uh, so, okay, so Justin knows a game. Uh, everybody told me you're going to get roughly twice the amount. Um, also, make sure you have insurance. All right, shit, we're running out of time. Make sure you have insurance. Uh, there's a difference between actual value and replacement value. The actual value is you bought a $7,000 TV, but that was nine years ago, and right now it's worth 600 bucks. Replacement value is they're going to replace that TV for you at whatever cost. Uh, so actual value is the depreciated value. Um, the structure, so there's insurance that will cover the structure of your home. So that's like the cost to rebuild the house. Um, and that uh, also includes fixtures. So my friend had some very expensive chandeliers, but they were because they were attached to the home. 
they go into the value of the structure. You also have personal property, which means your stuff. So personal property is another section, and I checked our policy here at, at the house in Jersey. Personal property is another sector, and if they're going to give you 200000 or half a million or $4 million, you want to figure out what do you think the value of your belongings are. Uh, let's see. And then also loss of use. While your house is being renovated, demolished, rebuilt, whatever that might be, loss of use is going to cover your hotel or an Airbnb for the amount of the time that you're outside of the house. Um, let's see. So you need a place to stay. Uh, remember, the house and property is still yours, so you've got to secure it. One of the big issues is vandals coming into the house. So people can come by. The fire department, in my friend's case, put up plywood outside of his windows. But what I told him was we managed to get in the next day with a screwdriver. And then we came back later with like an electric drill to get in that really fast. But they were all just regular Phillips head screws. I was like, dude, we got to get actual deck screws with the Torx head. I don't know if you're familiar with the Torx screw. Yep, it's a little star. It's a star screw. People are so some fewer people are going to have that torque screw uh, to break into your house than they are a regular screwdriver. Most of the people listening to us probably don't even know what a torque head screw is, um, but everybody knows what a Phillips head screwdriver is. So everybody has a Phillips head screwdriver. So having just the torque screws on the plywood blocking the front door and the windows is a much more secure way to to keep your place and your things that still last safe uh also time frame of the claim you want to be making this claim as quickly as possible because if you wait too long it may not be covered by your insurance company um let's see you can request an advance payment for immediate expenses like same day payment for hotel and close and uh you know they can they can get you that money very quickly and then also you want to track your expenses that you're spending on hotel clothing new cell phone, car key replacement, things like that. So save your receipts. And then also you want to start booking a list of your belongings, right? So think room by room. What do you have in those rooms? Sentimental value is the equivalent of zero in almost all of these claims. So that doesn't matter, unfortunately. Um, it's the actual value or the replacement value of your belongings. So you want to have a list of everything that you have. And unfortunately, if you had physical uh, proof of purchase and your whole house going on fire, you don't have that anymore. Uh, anything else you can think of, James? I'm cutting it pretty close. We've got like two minutes. No, um, Ross just wants to, us to repeat how important it is to have working smoke detectors. And um, I'd say I hope that none of this advice actually applies to anybody that's listening. So the thing is, the biggest way to make sure it doesn't apply to you is just make sure you have smoke detectors and, and, and fire alarms in your house and the carbon monoxide detector is uh is also very helpful because carbon monoxide is the silent killer like it kills people in their sleep oh you know you know what we we should probably end on real um it's is that be prepared to be interrogated by the police or the fire department as to the cause of your fire oh yeah oh yeah i uh i went through that and that that was uh that was you know, they want to make sure that you didn't cause it. It wasn't intentional, which I think for like most people, by law, they're probably required to ask you about it. But it's going to come at the worst time possible, which is right after your house burned down. Well, yeah, it's just like if a significant other, you know, passes away and it seems tragic and accidental. 
like the the spouse yeah and then the police quiet. come in and say hey we've got some questions for you yeah and you're like why are you looking it, it's a, you know you watch enough murder mysteries and stuff that's some scary stuff but yeah with the fire thing like you know i, I sat around with my friend the fire department brought in uh additional people the chief the fire commander like people you didn't even know had titles and because uh, i don't know that much about fire department they all came in sat in a conference room and just this barrage of questions one after the other and and you're not prepared to answer all of those so um just you know be prepared for that scenario but it's uh but if you keep your place safe you have that on your side and and all the preventative measures and the precautions you can take are going to help you out in the long run and hopefully not put you in this scenario uh, i want to thank everybody for joining us don't forget to subscribe to the youtube version of this podcast and this podcast on all audio platforms, I want to thank the guys on Instagram, TikTok, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Thank you, James, for joining. Raj, for feeding us everybody's comments. What am I missing? Nothing. Yeah. We'll and see you guys on Thursday. Don't forget, you can buy super expensive fire extinguishers to look good in your house. All right, adios, everybody. See you guys. Cheers. All right, that concludes this podcast. Did I miss anything? Did we miss anything? If we did, I would love your feedback on that. I think it would be helpful for every, for everybody if you commented or shared with me what we did miss. And uh, if you appreciated this, don't forget to subscribe, like, share the podcast, help us out. Anybody is much appreciated. And uh, on that note, see you guys next time. Thanks. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.